so tonight we're going to keep going through the book of Exodus, which is in the Old Testament. And in chapters 3 and 4, God calls on Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burning. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and... I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt and all the wonders, with all the wonders I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. This is the word of the Lord. I'd say that most of us are quite afraid of what is going to happen. Uh, what's going to happen this weekend, or what's going to happen next semester, or what's going to happen after you graduate? Um, the people that are currently leading, like in the polls for for nominations for president, are making a lot of hay off of things are really, really bad, and if we don't watch out, things are going to go off the cliff, and it's going to be the worst, the worst. And the reason why they're doing so well is because we resonate with being afraid of the future. There are a lot of reasons why you use Tinder. Um, uh, Some of them more obvious than others, I suppose. Um, It's a great way to meet someone for that one special evening. Um... That's magical, and you'll never forget. Um, as much as you want to forget it the rest of your life, you'll never forget it. Um, but Tinder is like the one social media that I can't go on and figure out what it is, because that would just be super creepy. Um, 
But uh, I think that part of the reason why we, why by we I mean you, use Tinder, is because there's a fear that like I won't meet someone just in my regular life, and I kind of need to take control of this thing and make sure that I have more options on the table. Um, when I sit down with you guys, my name's Chris, by the way, if you don't know me, and um, I, I'm the RAF campus minister, and my job as, is a cool job, really, is I sit down with you guys, and we talk about the Bible, and we talk about Jesus, and we talk about what's going on with you, and when I say, hey, how can I pray for you, which is a way of making a seemingly non-spiritual conversation suddenly awkward and spiritual, is... Um, the things kind of sound like, um, who are going to be my friends when my other friends graduate and I'm still here? Or um, am I going to still be close with my roommates after we graduate or are we going to drift away? Um, should I change my major? Um, who am I going to live with next year? Am I going to have enough meal plan money to last me to the end of the semester? And the answer is yes, you are. Um, uh, where am I going to live next semester? Am I going to meet my spouse? I thought I was going to meet the person I was going to marry in college, and I'm literally about to graduate. Um, is he going to text me back? If not, why? Um, and I probably have the answer to that question, but I don't want to share it with you on the first meeting. Um, we really, really, really want to know what's going to happen in our lives. Do you, do you feel that? That you're stressed because... You, you want to know what's going to happen. And that leads us to, into a lot of fear and anxiety. And the book of Exodus, and the reason why we're looking at the book of Exodus this semester, is because Exodus is the story that God wanted his people to totally identify with. I was home earlier, and I was with my little girls. And when they put on dresses and pretend to be Anna and Elsa, they don't say, I'm pretending to be Anna. They say, I am Anna. Like, they're taking that story onto themselves and literally living in that story. And the story of Exodus is a story of God going to his people, Israel, the Hebrews, and they're oppressed, they're enslaved, and God, with a mighty hand, rescues them from Egypt and leads them out of fear and despair and hopelessness and slavery and brings them into a life of faith and hope and freedom. And that story is the story that God is continuing to write and continuing to call us not to just say, I, I'm pretending to be in the story, but to say, like, this is my story. I am someone that God rescued out of slavery and oppression. And God brings us from fear to faith. And tonight, what I want to do with our time is look at how God can bring us from fear and anxiety to faith and freedom and hope as it relates to our future. What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen next year? What's going to happen for the rest of your life? And the story of Moses is a great picture of that. And if you want to move from fear to faith according to your future, the first thing that I think you have to do that Moses shows us is you have to realize that God is much more involved than you think. God is more involved in your life than you realize. And part of the reason why we have so much stress about what's going to happen is we don't think that God is that involved in our lives. So God's people are in slavery. They've been victims of genocide. They're in despair. They cry out to God. And as we saw the last time we met, God hears their cry. And he says, I'm going to do something about it. And he shows up to this really, really random person. 
Everyone in the Bible just seems like they're supposed to be there. Like, of course he's talking to Abraham. I've heard this name before. And it's hard to really realize how random these people are, but we'll get to that in a second. And he says, Moses, I want you to lead this rescue mission. I want you to be the tip of the arrow of my people that are going out of Egypt. And on the one hand, Moses is like the perfect person for this. Um, If you've seen Prince of Egypt... Um, or you've seen the Exodus movie with Christian Bale. I call it Sexy Moses. Um, there's also Sexy Ramses, his brother in the movie. is also a fine-looking guy. Um, Moses is a Hebrew. He was born an Israelite. And what the king of Egypt was doing at this time was he was saying... We don't want any more Israelites. And so just, instead of just telling them to move away, he says, we'll like literally throw all their male newborn children into the Nile River and drown them. And Moses' mother clearly didn't want to do that. And so she put Moses, when he was three months old, in a little basket, and she floats him out into the Nile River. And lo and behold, it just so happens that Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe in the river She finds this baby and she brings him home. Moses, a Hebrew, is raised as an Egyptian in Pharaoh's household. He has the finest education literally in the world. He has wealth. He has privilege. Um, And really, if you think about the type of multicultural individual that would be perfect to lead the Hebrews out of Egypt... It would be someone who is both a Hebrew and an Egyptian, right? Um, He is uniquely qualified to be this person, but he has some problems. Namely, he murdered somebody um, and got kicked out of Egypt. So he threw a small wrench in God's plan for his life. God's wonderful, beautiful, perfect plan for his life. He's walking along one day. He's visiting his people who are oppressed. Now, he's a Hebrew, but he's not like in the struggle, you know what I'm saying? Like, he is privileged. He comes along, an Egyptian soldier is beating a Hebrew. He looks around, no one's there. He kills this dude, buries him in the sand. Pharaoh wasn't super into that. And so Moses runs away. He runs away to a place called Midian, which is like the trailer park area of uh, around Egypt. I say that because that's where I grew up. Not in Midian, but in a trailer park. Um... <laughs> And uh, he goes out to this random place called Midian, and he's shepherding sheep. And shepherding sheep would literally be the most disgraceful thing you could possibly do if you were an Egyptian. Um, if you read the end of Genesis, there's some stuff about that, like, the Egyptians literally despise shepherds. So get think about this guy. He's an ex-con murderer who's a washed-up shepherd. He doesn't know whether he's a Hebrew or an Egyptian, or a Midianite. And there's really no indication that he even knows about God at all. Okay, this guy is super, super random, and he has sort of disqualified himself. He's been 40 years now shepherding sheep. He was 40 years in Egypt. Now he's 40 years out there. Now, okay, it's safe to say that Moses probably would not have chosen this life path for himself. Um, And maybe you feel tonight... Like, the way that you got here is not the way that you would have chosen to get here. Maybe you wanted to go to Carolina. Um, and yet, here you are. Maybe your family broke up. and Or maybe you, you 
did some things and made some mistakes, and now they're having consequences in your life. Um, but it's amazing to me when I read the story of Exodus at how purposeful and intimately involved God was in every detail of Moses' life. Um, I love barbecue while we're talking about it. Um, I'm from Georgia, and so it's part of you know the DNA. And the best barbecue there is, you should know if you don't know this, is whole hog barbecue, okay? So if you're from Lexington, like a lot of people are nodding, so I feel this. This is my new friend that transferred here from Liberty. I feel, I see, I feel that nod. Good to see you, man. Um, and uh, whole hog barbecue, they always have these funny things, like we cook everything but the squeal, you know? Um, or like from the rooter to the tutor, which is that's my favorite one. Um, <laughs> Like, they don't leave the yucky part, what we would consider the yucky parts, out. They, they, they put the whole thing together. Now, that's a really awkward way to get at. Um, Moses, uh, God intend, like, attended to every detail of Moses' life. And even the parts that were sort of undesirable or the yucky parts of Moses' life, God didn't despise those things, but in fact, used those failures and really tough circumstances the most powerfully in Moses' life, and he does the same thing in ours. Think about the horror of a mother thinking that her child was going to be killed. And she, like, it's not like she, like, drops him off at, like, an orphanage. Like, she pushes him out into a moving body of water and just prays that God will, will do something. Because of that, he grows up uniquely as an Egyptian Hebrew. It's so strange. He goes for 40 years because of a mistake, Because of a moment of anger, he ends up 40 years chasing nasty sheep around the wilderness. Um, Because God was preparing him to lead Israel out of Egypt and literally to chase God's nasty sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. God used every part of Moses' life, the good and the bad. And God is intimately involved in every detail in your story. Um, He isn't ashamed of your failures. He isn't ashamed of the difficult parts of your life. He doesn't despise the yucky parts. It's actually the parts of our story that make us cringe the most that God is most interested in using to do what he wants to do in us. Um, The things that have hurt me the most in relationship and in the ministry that God's called me to, and some of you guys can really attest to this because you've been around me enough, the things that have hurt the most are the things that I think I'm really good at and like about myself. And the things that God has used powerfully to change me and to change other people are the parts that I would just really rather not talk about with you. The parts that I wish you didn't know because I I want you to respect and to like me. And you see your life and you think about the highlights and the shadows of your life, the ups and the downs, and you don't know how to make sense of it. And Moses could not possibly have known what to do with his own story. You think he's out there like in the 38th year of nasty shepherding as like, I bet God's really going to use this for something awesome. Um, no, he could not possibly have known. And faith, instead of fear, looks at the difficult circumstances in your life and says, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know where this is going. I'm afraid. I'm confused, but I know that God is doing something in this. 
and he can make this wonderful and beautiful. I know God is the author of my story, and I really want to try and trust him through the hard stuff. That's part of what it means to live by faith. And what if the ups and downs of your life weren't hindrances to what God was doing, but in fact God writing the letters and the words of a beautiful, wonderful redemption story that you can't see yet. Um, so if you want to live by faith in the future, you've got to know God's more intimately involved than you think. But you have to also know, this is going to seem a little bit counterintuitive, that this, it's not about you. Okay? The story, the wonderful thing that God is doing is not about you. Um, it's really funny that, that God even asked Moses to, to do this thing in the first place. He doesn't even ask him, by the way. He just says, you're going to come and you're going to do this thing. Um, because he could do it himself. Uh, you know, if you, if you have any idea what's going to happen, like there's going to be plagues and like frogs and like the river's going to be blood. People are going to die and there's going to be parting the Red Sea. It's all this epic awesomeness. And Moses doesn't do that stuff. Moses is just kind of the guy that's like standing there saying like, hey, God's going to drop gnats all over you. Um, and God is the one that does that. Um, and that's the point of what God's doing in this passage is he's telling Moses, look, man, it's not about you. It's not about what you're doing. It's about what I'm doing. He appears to Moses in a burning shrubbery, um, which is a strange way to show up 80 years into a person's life and then ask them to stand before the world's most mighty military and demand that like their free labor force go, you know? Um, you would think that he might want to give Moses a little bit more heads up. I think it's kind of beautiful that he shows up in a burning bush that isn't consumed. Because if you think about it, all throughout the Bible, and especially in Exodus, God is described as a burning fire, a flame of fire. And he's burning up a bush, yet he's not consuming the bush. And that means that God, this fire, could come and be part of your life and not consume you. Um, which I think is... Is quite beautiful. Um, but look in verse 10. He says, look, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And I'm not sure what you would say to that. It feels like, I want you to go to President Obama and demand some things for me. Um, but Moses is freaked out, as you would be. And um, he just says, uh, so when I go to the elders and I tell them, they're not going to believe me. So what should I tell them your name is? Oh, strange talking bush, God. Um, my mom's name is Pera. Okay, that's a unique name with a unique story that I will share with you later. Um, and uh, one time we were visiting some a friend of ours who was a second grade teacher. This will be an, this will be exciting for all of you elementary ed majors. And uh, we were visiting our friend, and and our friend said to her class of second graders. This woman has a very unusual name. Would, could anyone guess what her name is? And a hush, you know, hush falls over second grade because um, they're taking school very seriously. And um, nobody said anything. And finally, this one kid put up his hand and he said, Sock? <laughs> is, is it Sock? <laughs> and I wish to God that her name was actually Sock. Um, like, it, when he asked 
when Moses asked what his name is, like, what's God supposed to say? Um, tell them God sent you. Uh, you know, the God. Um, he says, when he, what he says to him is, he doesn't even really answer the question. He says, I am who I am. Which isn't really like a, a, a name as much as it is a declaration of existence. He says, when they want to make, just tell them, I am who I am. He says, tell them, I am sent you. God is really saying, tell them that the reason for everything existing sent you to them. Um, he just unapologetically exists and is. It's interesting when I think about how God responds to, how do I know that you're for real? He's like, well, it's all here, right? Um, so I must be here. Should I not be? Um, his name, when he says I am, it means so many things. It means he's eternal. It means he's the source of life. It means he's the creator. It means he's the one that makes everything go. It's a simple statement. He makes it a, his personal name, like my personal name is Chris. His personal name is I am. Um, I am a being that you can't even really begin to fathom. You are out of your depth. Um, and God says, this is the name that I want to be for my people. And when you, in, your little, in, your, in your little Bible, uh, in your Bible, where it says L-O-R-D in capital letters, that's God's special name. In the Hebrew, it's yod Hey vav Hey y h w h Yahweh, something like that. It comes across in the English, they make it the Lord. And Moses is insecure even at this. Think about what you want. Like Some of you guys, and this is including myself, are like, you know, I have a lot of trouble believing a lot of the time. God, if you could do something really impressive, that would help me out. That would help me believe. I'm encouraged by Moses. He's got the burning bush. He's got the name that God hasn't shared with anybody else. You know, he's got the crazy story. And he still literally, like, won't do what God says, doesn't believe. Like, he argues with God all through chapter 3 and 4. And finally he goes, dude, you're just going to have to send somebody else. Like, I cannot do this. Um, a couple of interesting things about that. Number one is maybe if the miraculous thing that you wanted to happen that would convince you forever happened, maybe it wouldn't be enough. And maybe God isn't hiding from us. Maybe perhaps we are hiding from him. God is kind to Moses in his doubts, but the point that God's trying to make through all this is, look, Moses, you're not the leader, you're not the man, you're not the Lord, I am. I'm the leader, I'm the rescuer, I'm the one who is and who was and who is to come. Um, and every time he doubts, Moses or God says, I will do it. I'm going to do it. It's not on you, man. It's on me. Um, is it not the case that a huge part of the reason why you struggle with being freaked out about the future and the reason why you struggle to trust God and the reason why you're freaked out about graduation or next semester um, is because you don't really believe that God is, so you believe that you must be. Like, you don't really believe that God is going to take care of it. Like, that he's not, you think that he's really not able to do such a thing, um, and that you've actually got to be the best you can be. You have to have the best resume. You have to have the best internship. You have to look the best. 
or else he's not going to call you back. Um, you obsess over your grades. You don't consider ministry if you're a Christian or missions or anything like that because that is a sideways path that doesn't get you to where you need to go in life. It's why some of you guys think that when you screw up, you're going to go to hell and God hates you forever. Because you think it's about you, that it's on you, and God is coming to you tonight and saying, it's not about you and what you're doing. It's about Jesus and what He did and what Jesus is doing in the world. It's up to Him. And living by faith means recognizing it isn't about you. It's about what God, who He is, and what He's doing. Um, The other morning I was reading a psalm with my daughters, which sounds super spiritual. It's like the third time it's ever happened. Um, And in the psalm it said, God is our refuge and our strength. We were going to sing this song, but I cut it because I was insecure about keeping you guys along. And... um, and I asked, my, I asked my daughters, I said, what does it mean for God to be a refuge? And you know the answer they end up coming up with? It means that when there's a bad guy, that you stand behind God. And he will protect you. And, man, I wish I was three. Um, I wish I was three and knew about Jesus like, um, like they do. God is our refuge, and we stand behind him. Uh, it's not up to us. It's not about us. And so, look, you got to believe God's involved. you got to believe it's not about you. But paradoxically, it is about you. Um, and th- this is what I mean. God doesn't need Moses at all. Moses is completely inefficient because Moses doubts and has issues, right? My wife played field hockey in high school. Any field hockey players? Megan. Awesome. Um, I encourage you to go see our Appalachian State uh, Mountaineer field hockey team in person because they are fierce. Um, But field hockey is really inefficient because the stick is like literally a third the length that it needs to be. It's like this long. And like you have to get all the way to the ground. The ball is literally like a billiards ball, like encased in rubber which doesn't really like zoom down the field very well. It's like literally playing soccer with like a medicine ball. Um, and I was talking with Sarah Jane about this, and she was like, well, you know, Chris, feels easy. Everyone would do it. Um, just spoken like a true field hockey player. Um, like the way the game is constructed seems to make it harder than it needs to be. The way that God works in our lives really is a lot harder than it needs to be. Like, if God wanted to, like, hey, like, what's RF here to do? Man, we're here to reach students for Christ. Like, we want people on campus to, like, know about Jesus and love Jesus and trust Jesus, and we want to seek the good of this. Like, he could do that literally without me or any of us. Like, he just make it happen. Like, he could just been like, hey, inside Pharaoh's mind, going to make this a good idea for these people to leave. And like, okay, do-do-do, you know. Um... But he uses Moses anyway. And to understand why, um, I, I don't really think we can understand why unless we think about Jesus. And if you think about Jesus' life, um, this is the guy that created everything and literally called everything that exists in the infinite and expanding universe. And he became a peasant, impoverished child to an unwed mother. Um, There was like immediate family tension between that's your kid from God 
<laughs> my engaged to wife. And I have to sit here with you in like literally a stall. We just celebrated this. And to help you deliver this baby into some nasty like cow trough um, because your baby came from God. Um, Jesus was a man of sorrows. He hung out with people that nobody else liked. He really only spent his time with a very small amount of people. And the people that really mattered, he like flipped off all the time and they hated him. Um, And you got to think, as people interacted with Jesus, it was very common for them to be sort of like, why won't this dude live to his potential? Like, why is he always like when it seems like he's on the cusp of taking over, he runs away and goes and prays to God. And in the end, all his friends leave him and he ends up dead. I don't know what kind of like rescue strategy you would come up with for saving the world, but that one doesn't seem like it is super efficient or works well. And Jesus is the one who said during his ministry, when someone got in his face about something, he said, you know what? Before Abraham was, I am. I am the I am. I'm the reason why we're all here. And this is what my life looks like. And I am does business the way he does business in your life and throughout the world for one reason. He does not care about what he can get from you. He doesn't care about getting from point A to point B in the most efficient amount of time. Jesus did not walk the earth and live perfectly and die perfectly and be raised to make an end happen. He did it for your heart. He did it to get you. Um, Jesus wasn't trying to win a war. He was trying to win you. And if you know anything about trying to win somebody, you know you have to get involved in their life. God isn't just finding a person to lead his people out of Egypt. He's after Moses. Every step of Moses' life had been about God getting Moses. And the whole point of Exodus is so that Moses and everyone else will know that he is God. And look, uh, I don't know whether you're a Christian tonight. I don't know whether you think you are, but you have doubts. I don't know whether you're just trying to figure the whole thing out or not. But this is what I do know. What the world needs from you, what your roommates need from you, what your friends need from you, what your future children need from you, um, what the arts need from you, what the environment needs from you, what your workplace needs from you, what, the, what everyone needs from you is for you to know and love Jesus. Like what, am I, like, what do you need from me? Like, what do my children need from me? They need me to know Jesus. And what if the circumstances of your life weren't so much about God preparing you to be awesome and making sure that you don't make any mistakes, um, but all the circumstances in your life, God was perfectly orchestrating to make you know and love Him. And what if the point isn't success or failure, but knowing and loving Jesus? Like, how would that change the trajectory of your life? If it wasn't about what you do, but who you love, you'll never understand what God is doing and wants to do in your life if you think it's because He's trying to make you the best you can be. He is determined to have your love because He knows you will never be happy or satisfied otherwise.
So if you want to move from fear and despair into hope and freedom and joy and faith, um, set about knowing Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much that you call us to know you. I thank you for these friends. I don't know where they are. Uh, I don't know the hard things they've been through. Um, Lord, I don't want anyone leaving tonight thinking that the hard things that have happened to them are because you made them happen. Of course you didn't. We do things that grieve you, uh, and things are done to us that grieve you. But Lord, I hope that we will all leave tonight knowing um, that you don't recoil from us, but you move toward us, and you can use even those hard things for us to know you. Lord Jesus, would you, would you break into our hearts that we would know and love you? And we pray in your name. Amen.